Patrick Fendaro here with Franchise Finding Season 2. Together with my brother Jack, we're going to be going through some of the largest franchises as well as up-and-coming franchises to see if they're a good investment. We look at the franchise costs, the revenue, historical profits, failure rate, and other really important metrics to consider before investing in a franchise. So if you're looking to buy a franchise or think about a startup or an existing business, listen to our podcast as with little time, you'll be able to evaluate a franchise is the right entrepreneurial path for you. Hey, you have Patrick here, co-founder at Vetted Biz. Today, I'm very excited to have on two executives from the Grounds Guys franchise, Josh Sevick, who's the president, as well as John Doblebauer, who's the head of franchise development. We're going to talk about the, the landscaping industry, the brand specifics, what metrics their franchisees are following. And before I get into that, those that are not familiar with the Grounds Guys, they've been around in North America for about the past two decades. They have over 250 locations um, across the, the U.S. primarily. And let's just jump right into it. I mean, Josh and, and John, if one of you could start, maybe Josh, how did you enter in the franchising industry or, or this vertical in particular? Yeah, well, well, Patrick, thanks for having us on. We appreciate it. And uh, happy, to, uh, happy to, to talk to you about that. So I, uh, I didn't start my career thinking that uh, I would end up in franchising. I uh, didn't think I'd end up in, in landscaping either. And um, I, I, in uh, 2013, I was working in um, uh, M&A and mergers and acquisitions. And uh, the organization I was working with, uh, we were buying a franchise company. Cool. And uh, before we had completed the transaction, uh, I was kind of tapped to help. We were going to replace the management team. And this was supposed to be a temporary assignment. And, uh, and it's been, you know, eight, nine years later, and I'm still in franchising and love it. I fell in love with it. I um, uh, had the opportunity to uh, take that brand and grow it. I became the CEO eventually, and we took that thing from 100 locations to about 800. And, uh, and then we had the good fortune to, to sell that company in 2019. And so uh, that was a great ride. Found out that I, I love franchising, working with um, small business owners. It's kind of the heart, right, of America and of everything that we, we love, right? Uh, as a country. So uh, I fell in love with just leading in this environment and um, connecting with those owners. And at that point, you know, I, we sold the company in 2019 and I was looking for the next opportunity. And I will tell you, I hadn't realized what uh, the opportunity is in the landscaping industry. It's massive. We're talking a hundred billion dollar industry in the U.S. It's wild. And uh, uh, yeah, I fell in love with the opportunity and uh, just the, the fact that there's really no ceiling, <laughs> at least not one we're going to see for a long time. So I was thrilled to get on board with Neighborly, our parent company. It is the premier services franchise organization in the world, uh, the largest um, you know, home services provider in the world, and also uh, the premier franchising organization. Uh, got on board with the Grounds guys. Uh, I've been the president there since uh, mid-2019 uh, and just enjoying the ride. So no sabbatical for you? You grow no, a business, no, you know what? Units, 800 units, and then you start a new job right away. It, it's funny. I actually ha I held both jobs for about a week, so uh, I didn't didn't even get <laughs> a day off. So, but that's you know, we don't want to we don't want to get rusty, right? So. <laughs> and how about you, John? Yeah, so so my path was quite a bit different, uh, Patrick. I um I was actually a small business owner before entering into franchising, uh, and I'd grown. It was a mom and pop business. I had grown a pretty substantial uh, revenue generating business, but 
you know, here's the thing. I had a baby um, and my wife was looking at me saying, hey, you're working 90, 100 hour weeks. You know, this is crazy. You can't do this anymore. So um, I'll say this. I didn't have the systems uh, that that franchising allows. And so I ended up hiring a manager. I kind of stepped back away from that business. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another, right? And the business didn't do uh, as well as we would hope, right? With the manager kind of coming through. So I'm sitting here and um, kind of thinking about this. I've got a one-year-old daughter uh, at this point. I've got, you know, a stay-at-home wife. I've got this business that is struggling because I didn't have any of the systems in place. And so I started thinking, man, what can I do to get out in front of this? Because I really, truly believe in entrepreneurship. I believe in the uh, lifestyle that it provides. I believe in all these different things, but I don't want to have people go through the same struggles that I was going through. Uh, and at that point, you know, it was a God thing. Uh, one of the people at Neighborly reached out to me and said, hey, how do you feel about franchising, right? So uh, at that point, it really clicked uh, for me. I ended up uh, joining and, and the rest is history. I, I absolutely love what I do. That's great. I can relate to that as my brother and I have started a couple businesses. And what I tell people with franchising, your road to break even and profitability is much more, much easier to predict. One of our businesses in two months, we broke even, we're, we're taking out dividends and some up and downs, but mostly up. The other business over two years to break even. And we're just putting sure. tens of thousands of dollars into the business every month. And it's working out, you know, thank God everything's great. But if you can't manage that, that cash flow, and if you can't stomach it, franchising is nice. You have the predictability. You can talk to another five to 10 franchisees that did it before you. How long did it take you to break even? How long did it da? It's much more predictable. That's what I see from my end. And I don't know if you guys see the similar thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, and more so even than just the, the predictability, which I think a lot of a lot of folks when they're thinking about making the jump, right? Uh, maybe you're um, you've been a long time, you know, manager, executive, whatever it is, making that jump is scary, right? And uh, and just having that the comfort of, you know, I think of it as uh, I take my daughter when she was younger, I take her bowling, and they put up these little rails in the yeah. gutter of every ball go. I feel like that's franchising a little bit, right? It's uh, we we help nice step keep in out of the gutters, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I agree with that though. Yeah, I mean, to go from like working at a big corporation where maybe you're a middle manager, 40s, 50s, and you have that assistant to then going to one or two people, it's a huge, huge jump. It is. And I, in, you know, I've, I've run three different uh, franchise systems at this point, and they, they've all been very similar in that uh, uh, whenever we have an executive that's coming into the organization, one of the things I say to them is, hey, uh, you're used to at this point, you may have uh, six-figure folks reporting to you and you give them some strategy and they go and do it. And I want you to think back to being like a, a platoon leader and you <laughs> wouldn't be running a bunch of 18-year-old kids out into battle uh, without like strong leadership practice, et cetera, right? And uh, it's the same thing. And that's, uh, you know, we help with that, right? The systems, the processes. And we also make sure that um, uh, that our owners understand that it's a different different level of management sometimes, right? When you're getting into a new business and um, and that's where we give a little bit of a jump start. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Franchise Brokers Association, also known as FBA. They provide custom guidance for franchise buyers in the US 
FBA has over 100 certified franchise specialists as part of their network, currently working with 350 plus franchise brands. Click the link in the description section to learn how they can help you find the right franchise. FBA has over 15 years of experience. They've placed 2,000 plus franchisees across the United States. They take a very personalized approach to selecting and analyzing the best franchise for you. Their approach is also backed by the data that we have at Vetted Biz. So if you're interested in buying or at least exploring a franchise, start your franchise search today with FBA. And again, you can click on the link in the description section for more info. And before we go into the Grounds Guys brand, you know, Josh, you had mentioned a $100 billion industry on the landscaping side. Could you just break that down a bit as well as maybe talk about the growth? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, that's pretty stunning to me. And uh, I'll give you a statistic that's even more uh, stunning than the, the $100 billion um, <laughs> in revenue in the U.S. That's the U.S. alone. And we operate in Canada as well. So we tack on another 10 there. And um, but the, the big stunning statistic is that it is the most fragmented industry that I've ever seen. And hmm. so out of that $100 billion, there isn't a player that's more than 2% of that. Oh, wow. And in addition to that, um, you've got 500,000 businesses in the U.S. alone in that $100 billion space. And what you realize is um, there's a very large bifurcation between um, your, your top couple companies, literally a top handful of companies, and then you've got um, something that John knows really well, uh, just a ton of mom and pop organizations, um, not highly structured, good people working hard, you know, doing good things and making a living. Um, but you just don't have much in between those two. You got a billion dollar company and then you've got a guy doing $100,000 somewhere, right? And uh, so there's a very unique opportunity in this space. And when we look at this and you start breaking it down, look at some of the industry stats and the opportunity is massive. We see um, just anemic margins in the industry. And we know what we can achieve and what we do achieve. And it's just, it's a polar opposite. I think the industry, you look at the published rates, people may be getting um, four to uh, five and a half percent um, net profit margin yeah, it's tight. in that industry. So these and big companies need to be doing a lot of uh, landscaping routes. That, that's right. That's right. And we know, hey, um, we don't think of this industry as you know, we're going after a $100 billion industry. We've got some very um, specific targeted customers and opportunities that we go after. And that's how we build um, outsized margins and, you know, long-term relationships that we see as kind of the, you know, it's the, the golden goose, right? Is, is the so opportunity getting... more on the residential side or the commercial side? Well, I'll, I'll, Patrick, you, you may you may tell me to stop because I'm going to ramble too much. But let me, there's <laughs> one real foundational thought process um, that sets up how we think about the industry. And I'll just tell you that real quick. The, the industry would look at themselves with two major characteristics. They would say, are you residential or commercial? And are you a niche service? Think True Green. They're, they do one service really well. They come and you know, they'll fertilize and do weed control. Um, or are you a full service uh, provider? That's how our industry would divide the indus uh, our industry up. We look at it a little bit differently. We say, um, are you dealing with a local decision maker mm -hmm. and are you dealing with somebody that has a high need for kind of an aesthetically pleasing um, exterior and so we don't think residential commercial we think on those two lines and and the reality is we found that if you can pair 
a local decision maker, meaning whether it's residential or commercial, someone that you're shaking hands with, right, when you're signing the contract, and someone that has a high need for aesthetics. So it's not the apartment complex that just doesn't want to have the local community come knock on the door and say, cut your grass. Like we, we want the people that have a real need for a special outdoor space. If we compare those things together, we get high margin long-term relationships. And we're really passionate about, about the specific customer. We're not, we're not even looking at the whole industry, if that well, makes sense. The local decision maker, they're going to be able to sign up much faster than if it goes through a bureaucratic process. Then I would imagine the price, it's just a lot more inelastic, where if someone wants something done in a great way, yes. they'll pay a lot of money for that. It, no, that's exactly right. And they're our industry and a lot of any of the big names in our industry uh, on the on you know the landscaping maintenance side, they all work off of large commercial contracts and they don't actually ever even speak to the decision maker. They may be three or four relationships away from the decision maker and it becomes a price game, huh. right? Which and isn't so fun to be in. You may have persistence in the relationship, but look at what happened in the world just this year. October, I think year over year inflation was six percent. If you're locked into a five-year relationship and you can't even get to the decision maker, do you want that business? And so we look at this as, hey, we want a local decision maker, a hand we can shake, right? And we want someone that's passionate about that outdoor space. We, we don't have time for someone that says, no, I don't want to mulch this year because I'm trying to keep and my- And it's probably you know, owner doing business with owner, the franchise owner. And it's either the key executive or the owner that he's selling to and, and, and basically right. servicing, right? We would, we would say um, on the commercial side, we want that local owner and it could, it could look like high-end medical facility. It could look like, you know, um, uh, something, uh, large churches, things like that, where there's a premium on the aesthetics. And then on the residential side, um, we have two very specific um, personas that we go after. We call them the Fredericks and the Edwards. And That's good. I, won't, I won't go too far into that, but yeah. we know, you know, we know the houses they live in, the communities, the cars they drive, the media they consume how they like to be communicated with. And those are the people that we go after and target. That's great. So, I mean, someone that's just starting a landscaping business, I mean, it would take them probably five years to start creating like marketing personas of who they're going to go target if they even get that far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, we, we like to think so. Right. I, I was uh, asked to do a video uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was kind of off the cuff and, um, and someone was asking me some questions and it kind of turned into a little marketing video. And I, what I was saying was, you know, when you look at what we bring to the table for a new owner, it would take a company that's, um, you know, $100 million in revenue to get the kind of deals that we offer our guys right out of the gate. You know, we've got the, we've got the uh, industry leading software platforms, industry leading, you know, uh, landscape design, um, you know, staff management, you just go across the board and folks are stepping into this opportunity right out of the gate, right? Never in a million years would I say, you're guaranteed success in this, right? Um, but we we don't see people that are passionate about it and that do what we say. We don't see them not being successful. Uh, so it's we're pretty proud of what we're doing here, you know. And uh, I uh, I'm so glad we've got John on here today because John has um, just brought some great insight. Uh, he's uh, he's someone that's that's charged with really pairing up um, the folks that we're looking at as candidates and fit uh, in our organization and bringing those right people in and. Um, I, I love to hear his insights on these. Yeah, things. John, so John, what, jump in. When what, you can. Who, what is the ideal uh, franchisee? What do what What does that persona look like? Who, who's just yeah. killing it with the the grounds guys franchise? Yeah, you know, so I, I think it's a couple of different things. I, here's what I would say: it's not. 
Patrick. I wouldn't say that it's the guy that knows everything that there is to know about landscaping. The guy that knows how to put stripes on the lawn or lay a paper patio deck. Listen, at the end of the day, this is an executive level ownership model, right? We don't want our guys out on the tools. We want them growing a very substantial and significant business, of course, right? So what we look for in target are people that, number one, they've had success in the past, right? A proven track record of success, whether that's in a corporate role, whether that's in past business ownership, whatever that looks like for them. Um, but that's certainly a criteria that we're going to look for. The, the second thing that we're going to look for is, do you have the ability to lead, inspire, motivate, manage, uh, encourage team members, right? Are you the type of guy that people want to work for and with? Because here's the reality. There's, there's really only two things that we can't control from the franchisor's perspective. Okay. We can't control how many of the different franchise systems that the franchisees implement, and we can't control how quickly they implement them, right? Everything else we can essentially control as a franchisor. So you match kind of those, those sort of three things together, right? A proven track record of success, uh, proven leadership capability, and the ability to be coachable. You put all those three things together, I think you have a recipe for a, a top candidate uh, here with the Grounds Guest. I've never heard, I, I love how you're saying like their track record, proven track record of success, because someone that's looking to invest in a franchise or do anything, they look at the proven track record. Why would you not do that when you look at a prospective business partner, essentially? Like, well, how, how have they done? Yeah, and I'll tell you, Patrick, the good news is, right, we're not doing this for practice anymore, yeah. okay? Uh, neighborly, we've got over 5,000 different locations. We don't have to sell a franchise to keep the lights on, right? Exactly. So what we're really looking for are top quality people that can help take our brand to the next level, and we can help them take their lives to the next level, right? It's a mutual evaluation. It's a mutual partnership. So um, we don't just award franchises to anybody. Uh, in fact, it's very low. Uh, out of every hundred people that I talked to, about two of those people ended up uh, being awarded the franchise. So, it's um, we take it pretty seriously, right? Just like just like you and your whole business, you go about betting businesses, right? We're going to do the same thing. The individual franchisees, it has to be a mutual fit. That's well said. And I mean, you mentioned the executive model, John. Do you have? Are most of the franchisees coming in like? working 40, 50 hours, they're involved in the day-to-day -day operations. What, what does it look like? So, you know, what's interesting, uh, the Grounds Guys is one of the few neighborly brands and really few service brands out there that does have a semi-absentee ownership model or availability. Mm -hmm. now, of course, we have tons of owner operators that come in, uh, but I want to put the emphasis on semi and not on absentee, right? <laughs> like they, they need to have a uh, finger on the pulse of the business. They need to understand what's going on on a day-to-day -day basis. Do they need to be managing the day-to-day? -day? Not necessarily, right? It, Patrick, here's the way I think about it. I'll, I'll use the most well-known franchise out there. Okay? It's probably McDonald's, right? Listen, you and I both know the way that works. It's guys like me and you. They decide that they want to go start a hamburger shop, right? But instead of branding under the name Patrick's Burgers, they brand under the name McDonald's. They use the systems, the coaching, the tools, the support, the marketing, buying power, all these different things to create a multi-million dollar business, right? When's the last time, Patrick, that you walked into a McDonald's and you saw the owner standing behind the counter? Never, to my knowledge. It, it doesn't happen, right? I'm not saying that they're not working actively on the business. They certainly are. 
but they're not necessarily working in the business. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's well said. And I mean, that if you're just the guy that's like trimming the hedges, you, you can't be scaling up, right? I mean, how, how duplicatable is that, right? I, there's, there's only one of you. What happens if you decide to go on vacation, right? I mean, listen, about 20, 10, 20%, Josh, maybe you can help me, uh, of the people that we bring in are conversions, people that are converting their existing landscape business into a ground space. That's a great testimony because, I mean, they, they already have a business and they see the value and all the other services that you offer and the, the support. That's not yeah. so common in the franchise yeah. space. But, but here's what I'll say, Patrick. I Listen, I talk to these guys every single day. And whether they're in business two years, some of these people are in business over 40 years, right? I always ask them the same question. If I could send you on a trip to Tahiti, okay, for six months. So you're sitting on the beach, you're drinking Mai Tais, you're not even thinking about the business back home, six months, right? Mm -hmm. Then you come back to the business six months later, you're small mom and pop, what does it look like in your absence? And 99% of them say, oh, the business is not there, hmm. right? Well, you know, would you ever have the desire to one day sell the business? I mean, if I'm an investor, how much am I going to pay for a business? When you remove the business owner for too long a period of time, the business ceases to exist. Yeah. Right? I mean, the multiple is like one time's earning. It's like a lawyer yeah. selling their business. I mean, it's what they bring in. The business is, is valued at. You're going to be buying a job, yeah. right? That That's all it is. But, you know, if you build a business around systems, then there really is no limit to how big you can scale that business. And so that's what we're all about uh, in franchising in general, but certainly at the ground scouts. And landscape. And I imagine like mom and pops can do hundred K 200 K, but to get past 300 K 400 K and above, like if you don't have solid systems in place, you just can't, can't do it. Right. We, we see a couple different and it's, it's funny how this happens, right? Because you, you know, I just told you there's 500,000, uh, you know, pros out there in the industry, yeah. not pros, but businesses. And, um, uh, but we see some really standard um, uh, ceilings and, you know, that I won't go into the exact measures, but there's about sure. three of them and uh, none of them are over a million dollars. I'll tell you that. Oh, wow. And, okay. uh, and there's one that we see um, kind of the third tier is, man, just really talented people um, build their businesses and get to this point, um, but they just end up becoming the guy so they're superman right and they just they can't they're like man i can't do this and i remember we had um just a fabulous um candidate come in to meet us and uh, this is about two years ago and i knew when they walked in the door how much they needed us because the wife said first thing out of her mouth was um you know my husband uh couldn't go to disney with us last week because he couldn't leave the business and i thought oh my gosh i'm so glad you guys are here come sit down and let's talk yeah, right? because it's, it's, this guy I mean this guy was unbelievable and to do what he was doing without the support and the systems and the processes um, was amazing but I knew where we could take him where our business coaches could take this guy and it's, it's just been a great a great ride up let me tack on one other thing to that sure when we convert businesses into the grounds guys so existing businesses that come in they rebrand and become part of the grounds guys we see that on average more than a third of their existing customers are unprofitable hmm. and it's uh landscaping because we all like we've all cut the grass at one point or another right i yeah. was quickly get out of that in my own life but um, <laughs> i want somebody else to do it but um, we've all done that and so we think of landscaping as being simple 
Um, and it's actually a more complex business. And when, when you go out there and you start thinking about, hey, I've got trucks and trailers, I've got expensive equipment, I have employees all over the place, they're um, there's billable versus non-billable time, like they're driving, you know, three guys in a truck between jobs. It gets very complicated. And so typically we see a ton of turnover in the industry with other businesses because they just they don't understand what it actually costs to do this kind of business. And so that's just one of the many um, you know, skill sets that um, that we develop with our owners here at the Browns guys. And could you go in a little bit like how a franchisee is making money? You you talked a bit about the, the industries and the type of clients, but how are they getting paid? How do they how do they make money? Yeah, yeah, sure. Be happy to. And I'll tell you, um, this industry, it's um, uh, it's not difficult to build a book of business. It's difficult to sustain it and to make it profitable. And what we find is that all of the profit is in the details. All of the profit. You can have two businesses that look like they're doing a similar amount of money. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, not both of them are making good money, right? Uh, we see that all the time when we're evaluating um, external customers or um, external candidates. And it's, uh, so our guys, they do a couple of things. And um, John, maybe I'll let you kind of run through process, but I'll just say, um, when we think about making money, it's all about kind of the lifetime value of the customer, right? And so we get this unique opportunity in, in our industry to potentially visit a customer 25, 40 times a year, Wow! right? And so we think through the opportunity of, hey, we want a profitable touch every time we're there, <clears throat> but that recurring opportunity to make money, that's also our relationship platform. So what we're doing when we're coming and cutting the grass and we're trimming the hedges and we're you know, uh, weeding the beds, that's a relationship platform where we're laying down all of this positive interaction. And then we get the opportunity to now come back and do the projects, right? There are things like spring cleanups, fall cleanups. These are low skill opportunities. But then our owners have several higher skill um, opportunities as well. It's, you know, it's the fertilization and weed control. It's uh, maintenance on the irrigation systems. It's landscape lighting. There are all of these other opportunities that you earn the right to by that relationship platform where we're hitting that customer 25 to 40 times a year in maintenance and building a relationship. And part of what we do in selecting a customer is we don't want a customer that just wants one service. If they just want us to come to the house every week, that's not our customer. It's not going to be profitable, <laughs> probably. Exactly. Yeah, you use personal. We make money coming every week, but we also make really good money when we come back to do those individual projects. And so we think of the lifetime value of a customer, right? It's not a one-time deal. No. It's a four or five-year deal, right? That's the relationship that we want in the customer that we want. John, yeah, it's more enjoyable from the owner's perspective too. Well, it, it's interesting as well, Patrick. The um, there's a couple of things that we know, and we we are surveying customers all the time. And there's this funny fact: um, we know that the customers that are happiest with us are the customers that have the most service lines with us and that spend the most money with us, hmm. right? And it's it may not be intuitive, but those are the facts. And so we're all about finding the customers that want to do that kind of business with us, and it's. It's interesting because I tell our franchise owners uh, when they're just starting their business uh, and, you know, starting a grounds guys, <clears throat> the customer is not going to tell you that they want you to own all of this and to be full service because it's on you to earn the right. You got to be like the um, trusted advisor. That is exactly right. I think of it as the accountant for small business. Those guys, they're the call point for everything because they're the trusted advisor. 
And that's us, right? We want to be the concierge provider for everything external to our customers. And that's, uh, you, you got it, Patrick. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, John, I mean, just, it's why it's like very popular in white collar accounting lawyers. Why, why can't you have trusted advisors that are doing these type of service jobs? I'd want that. Exactly right. And I, the customers that we're choosing, um, they don't want to. I, I sometimes I'll put something up on a screen and just, uh, you know, whether it's a home or a commercial uh, business. And I'll just start showing all the different services, right? That, that someone actually needs. And I'm like, the, the folks that we actually are targeting, they don't want to call 10 different people. No. They don't want to have responsibility that they have to track all. They want one person that they trust. One guy to, to get it done. This, right? Timely. <laughs> yeah. I, John, would you mind talking a little bit through, um, you know, when Patrick asked about how do we make money, I said money, we make money in the details by doing the details, right? Would you just spend a minute talking about some of the, the processes that um, that we deploy and how that, um, you know, how it helps these guys, and especially in the early days? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, everything is regimented. Um, our days, uh, they look the same, but they're always different, if that makes any sense. So um, every single morning we start with what we call a huddle meeting, and it's actually an acronym. Uh, the H in huddle, it stands for have someone recite the code of care. Uh, so Patrick, the code of care goes like this. Uh, we show that we care by putting the needs of our customers first, by always having a positive and helpful attitude, by treating everyone and everything with respect, by living our code of values, we enjoy life in the process. Now, I'll tell you, the very first time, right, the franchisee does that with their employees might feel a little bit corny, right? I promise you, though, if you do that on a consistent basis, it really it really does two things, right? Number one, uh, it really does start to build a culture of excellence and a culture of care within the organization. Uh, and number two, it gives you a definitive uh, starting point at the beginning of every day, right? So yes. whether you're there or not, you still know what your employees are doing every single morning. It's having someone recite the code of care, right? Uh, you uniform and PPE check. Do the guys have the hundred green pants on, right? Do they have the yellow shirts on? Do they have the eye protection? ear protection, steel toe boots, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, first D, discuss yesterday's list. What went right yesterday? What went wrong yesterday? Where can we improve? Second D, discuss today's list. Uh, did Mr. Smith get his gate code changed, right? Or what's the plan on Mary's property? Things like that. L, listen and share good news. That could be it's one of your employees' birthdays. It's his anniversary, right? Kid just won a softball tournament. Whatever it is, we're going to share in that good news. Again, creating more of a team atmosphere, and less about guys just being there to collect a paycheck, right? And then finally, E, energize and encourage. Very simply, it could be, you know, one, two, three, go grounds guys or some variation thereof, right? That entire process takes five to 10 minutes, Patrick. It's not a big deal. But if you really think about it, in 10 minutes, we've established our culture as a company. We made sure that our guys are uniformed and safe. We talked about what went right and wrong yesterday. We developed a plan for today. Our employees feel listened to and understood, and we send them off uh, energized and encouraged. That's how we start every single morning. Immediately after that, uh, at least from the employee's perspective, they're gonna jump into the next acronym. That's what we call the LAND. So the L in LAND stands for leave the shop, right? We're not gonna stand around and talk about the ball game all day. We're gonna leave. And yeah. when the employees are out, right, is when you're making money as the business owner. The A, assign tasks to each team member on the way to the job site. N, navigate routes for maximum efficiency. So again, uh, in GG Pro, our software, it's got a routing software in there that will minimize the windshield time, maximize the productivity time of your teams. And then D is deploy. So we get to the job site, we hit the ground running, you know, all that fun stuff. 
Now we're actually on the job site. We get to what's called the GC3s. I won't bore you with all the details there. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of them. It's essentially though, a systemized checklist of, uh, you know, how do I mow the grass the same way every time, right? Yeah. Or how do I build the paver patio deck the same way every time? Uh, it's really a systemized checklist that your team lead can go through so that you know that the job is gonna be done the right way the first time, every time without having to babysit your employees, right? At the end of each job, we send out a visit report um, that gives clarity to our customers. I mean, there's before and after pictures, there's recommended services moving forward. There's all these different things, right? Really sort of hand-holding the customer experience. We rinse and repeat that all throughout the day. till finally, Patrick, at the very end of the day, we get uh, together and we do what's called the five S's. So the first S, sweep and spray vehicles down. Right. We want the trucks clean and shiny. Right. Yeah. Uh, second Very S. Much. Exactly. Right. Second S sharpen and replace blades. Patrick, have you ever tried to mow the grass with a dull blade? No. Well, good. Don't. <laughs> it doesn't work out very well. Right. Uh, third S service your equipment. That's things like check your tire pressure, top off your fluids, prevent maintenance type stuff. Uh, fourth S honestly is the one that I consider the most important for the franchise owners. And it's also really simple it's stock the trailer with what you need for the next day. Now, Patrick, here's why I consider it the most important. Can you imagine a world where you have an employee across town and that guy runs it out of trim line or some other supply? What do you think that guy does? Doesn't do the job. Yeah, I mean, I've narrowed it down to three things. He could not <laughs> do the job, okay? In which case you were gonna have a very upset customer. That's not good. Uh, second thing is he could take your truck, your trailer, disrupt the rest of your crew to go to Home Depot, <laughs> pick it up. That's not going to be very efficient. Or the third thing that he'll do is he'll call you and he'll say, Patrick, listen, I'm so sorry. I know you're busy running a multi-million dollar company and all. Why don't you stop everything you're doing? Why don't you go to Home Depot? Why don't you pay me up the trim line? Don't worry. I'll sit here and wait while you pay me to do nothing. Essentially <laughs> turning you into a high-priced errand boy, right? So fourth S. Uh, system in place, make sure that doesn't happen. And then finally, fifth S just stands for shut down, means we get to all leave and go home. Every Here's my point, Patrick. Everything is systematized from the day-to-day -day basis. But at the end of the day, this is not a McDonald's. This isn't just, you know, put it on the corner and a bunch of people show up. There's, uh, there's things that we do that give flexibility to the owners um, but at the end of the day, they have ownership and autonomy in their business as well. So while we have all these different systems to scale, no two grounds guys looks the same. Um, they all have different niches. They all have different services, uh, but they all do the same system. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And why should people, a lot of people have personal habits every morning, whether it's meditation, prayer, and they do it every morning, like I do. Why? Why wouldn't you also do that for your job and and work and bring everyone together? Patrick, you know, here's the thing. This is the way big companies have meetings, right? Yeah. All, all the corporate guys that are listening right now, you're going to say, "Oh, yeah, we do that meeting in the morning," and and I understand that. Listen, there's a reason that your company is big. If you want to have a big company, run it like a big company, right? If you want to have a small company, that's cool. Don't have any systems. You can be one of those chuck in the truck type people. Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, my brother joined entrepreneur organization. I'm going to rejoin in January. And a lot of that is like systems and getting your processes in line. And my brother does daily huddles with his team. I need to implement it with my team. But 
you only start looking at that once you're at a million plus company where you should be doing that at 100K, 200K, 300K to get to a million. That's right, culture, right? It's, it's the um, underneath of all this, it, it's a people business, yes. right? And it's, it's how do you build the right culture? And that's, uh, I love, you know, John, that was a test for him to make sure he, uh, he <laughs> I, uh, I, I love that. I love the, the two things, the, the way we start and end the day, because that's, man, you drive culture and that, that huddle is all about, you know, we surveyed um, a ton of different uh, types of service organizations at our parent company, the grounds guys, the employees, what came back is that the, they want this job for a very specific reason. They want a, a place where they're valued. They want to feel like, Hey, uh, I've got a career in an industry, right? And so we take care of we take care of a couple of things just through those processes that John was talking about, right? Part of that huddle is, um, hey, share, listen and share good news, right? Tell us about you, yes. right? Let's get let's get this community going. That that code of care that John talked about at the beginning, that's our good owners. They don't they don't just say that, like they correct people back to that, right? I, I tell you why you what you did wrong, and then I bring it back to like that's not in line because of this with our code of values. And I affirm you back to the code of value. That was a great job that you did that for, their, for that customer because you're putting the needs of our customer first, right? Builds that culture. And then at the end of the day, um, the one thing we know is profits and the details. Everybody wants to get out of there at the end of the day. So that's why we have them go through the shutdown yes. and the setup for the next morning before you can go home and see your girlfriend, right? And so uh, we know that's when it happens quick and we want people uh, minimizing their indirect time. So any uh, idea on employee retentions? Like I would imagine employees stay like double the time just because just because of everything John went through. Yeah, exactly. And we think of we think of the world uh, in landscaping as a fixed and flexible workforce. Right. And so um, because we're seasonal somewhat, you hit different peaks. Uh, we have a segment of employees that are that are going to be temporary. Right. They come and go every year to help us fill the peak times. But that core team um, success in this industry, like I said, the people business. And success in this industry is building a culture that retains that core team year after year. And I, I love it when I, I get to visit one of our owners and I, I always want to be in that huddle in the morning and I can tell how well they're doing on culture because it isn't the owner or the management that leads that. It's the employees. They're the ones that talk through the customers that they're servicing for the day, what the issues are. They enforce the culture. That's when I know somebody's doing it right. Um, yeah, it's, no, it's, exactly right. that's key. Having yeah. we we do something similar, and like an intern just stood up and and said, you know, one of our key uh, core values. She gave an example of how someone else embodied it. I'm like, oh, damn, that's that's good from an intern. That's awesome. <laughs> You're very good. Very good. So I can definitely relate to that. Um, I'm curious because it seems like there's a crazy opportunity with like only two percent of the industry being held by any one uh, company. Do you have franchisees that are growing inorganically through acquisition and then kind of rolling that into the grounds guys franchise system? Yeah, we do. And I'll tell you, it's uh, it neighborly. So we've, we have, you know, over 20 different service brands uh, at neighborly. And there are a couple that exclusively uh, grow through acquisition early wow, okay. on. Uh, we do, but it's not exclusive. What we find is Growing in this industry, for me, it's the easiest industry I've ever seen to grow a business. Hmm. And so it's much more about building the right culture and having the systems in place to make sure you're maximizing profits and you don't end up at that industry 5% profit. That's it. Nobody wants that, right? And um, But this industry is fairly easy to grow. And what we do see uh, on a regular basis is 
our folks will, will um, you know, buy a book of business from somebody that, you know, one of the many people that are turning over in this industry every year. And, um, and there's some other uh, opportunities on the commercial side with some longer term contracts that will change hands and our guys okay. will um, potentially acquire. Um, but it's, it's pretty easy to grow organically here. So that, that's very challenging to, um, you know, the valuation of a new book of business because you can just go grow it yourself pretty easily. And um, in terms of COVID, the pandemic, we're, we're still living on with this like third variant and it's crazy. I mean, I just want this to end. Uh, but I've seen that the franchises and businesses that adapted quickly and throughout the whole system did pretty well during this pandemic. I'd be yeah. curious to hear how the grounds guys has adapted um, over the last couple of years. Adaptation, it's, uh, it's, in our, it's in our genes and our DNA, I'll tell you that. And I, um, I'll tell you what, before I even get into COVID, John, yeah. why, why don't you talk about, because we've made a couple of shifts in terms of adapting uh, the grounds guys. Why don't you hit, uh, why don't you hit kind of our shift um, to, you know, a residential, including a residential focus, and then I'll hit the COVID thing. Yeah. So what's interesting, we neighborly acquired uh, the grounds guys from a group of 10 brothers. They have five sisters as well. I mean, giant family, right? Uh, they, they grew I this can business. imagine that in a negotiation. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, but we acquired this business from up in Canada, right? We brought it to the United States. Uh, we brought it to the U.S. back in 2010. Uh, but when we acquired the business, all they did was commercial mowing, right? Mm -hmm. It was kind of uh, what Josh was alluding to before. You have like one or two sort of, you know, billion dollar companies, and then you have everybody else, right? And a huge drop off. Well, they, uh, a lot of those are focused on commercial mowing and all this. So we thought, uh, we know what we're doing. We're going to bring this to the United States. It's going to work great. Here's what uh, we found out, Patrick. There's There's a long runway, right? I mean, Typically, there's a bid and tender season that you're going to have to go through to even get a commercial client, right? That might be, you might be six months out from that. Yeah. Then, even after you're awarded the contract, they're going to take 45, 90 days to pay you. So, unless you have a lot of money saved up, right, um, you might struggle from a cash flow perspective. We recognize that. So, what we did was we shifted to a residential first model. Okay, cash and carry at the beginning. Over time, that of course shifts naturally to more of a 50-50 blend, uh, commercial versus residential. But we want to target the residential first because that's really the wheelhouse of Neighborly. I mean, we have an initiative here at Neighborly called Own the Home, right? You think about this, we have 20 some odd different brands, right? One of the very first things we would do for a new franchise owner is we would reach out to every single customer that we've ever done business with across all the different brands. And we would say something like, you know, hey, we've been cleaning the inside of your house with Molly made. Now we want to take care of the outside of your house with the grounds guys, right? Those are typically going to be residential customers. It helps our franchisees get off to an incredibly fast start, helps them cash flow very, very quickly as we grow into those commercial relationships. So that was, that was a big shift for us, uh, for sure. Yeah, and that's and I always like to talk about that because that's like you know business is about uh, adaptability, right? Yeah. And uh, I just finished a book, uh, and it was it was establishing you know five you know critical components of a CEO's ability to lead, and one is adaptability. Hmm. Uh, COVID for us was um, you know it was a badge of success because what happened in COVID uh, was pretty astounding. <clears throat> Our owners in the early days didn't know, hey, can I go out and work? Is my community shut down? What's my state saying? What? 
And so uh, we were able to mobilize our entire organization and we were putting out daily updates uh, for every state. Um, you know, we couldn't get to the individual city level, right? Because there's some, some geographies that went down to specific city ordinances. Um, but every state and, you know, major city, um, we were able to provide communication, uh, instruct our folks, probably had 75 plus um, specific, like formal communications during a couple month period to our owners. So our, uh, our franchisee satisfaction went through the roof during COVID because of how we helped them navigate and what we saw was a big spike in business. So we, we felt a little embarrassed because people are, are losing their jobs and it's a tough time for the economy. Our business went through the roof and a couple of things happened. One, our guys understood how they could navigate uh, the local business and the local economies. Uh, two, everybody went home. Yeah. Right. You're everybody went home. Your kids in your nice yard. and Yeah. They, they canceled their vacations. They, they canceled their plans and they said, I'm here you know, 24 hours a day, I need to invest in, in my home. And so we really, it was like a, a double win for us. Um, and I, obviously we, we hated seeing uh, the tragedy of the impact um, on the country and on the people, um, but it was, it was really good for us. We well, had you guys can do an impact hiring more employees. And I mean, 250 yeah, exactly. locations, I can't imagine how many more jobs were created. So it was, it was a big time for us. And we also, we love the fact that we were able to help people right in that time being able to go out and improve people's space and their just their mental health, right? By building Definitely. space for them and updating lawns and landscapes. It was it was a great time for us. Yeah. And and Patrick, listen, I know you're you're a numbers guy, right? And so I, I'll speak to that a little bit. I, I know that you do this anyways. You'll go and compare previous year's FDDs to the new FDD. If you went and did that, okay, our average revenue year over year from 2019 to 2020 in the United States was up about 19% year over year, despite going through a global pandemic, right? So it's when Josh says that our business boomed, like we're not exaggerating. Uh, the business really boomed. Double digit growth, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, it, well, comparatively, think about the other franchise concepts out there, right? How'd the hair salons do? How'd the fast food restaurants down do? like 70%, fitness yeah. down a half. Went yeah. through a fitness, a huge fitness franchise has a thousand locations. Revenue is half. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, 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 and we hate to see it, but at the end of the day, these are essential services, right? Yeah. They, and they're fixed a food business or fitness business. It's fixed in a set area where you guys can go out and, and find new customers and it, it's easier to adapt. Yeah. I mean, here's what we know, right? No matter who's in the white house, no matter what's going on with the economy, the grass is going to continue to grow. It tends to be a very beautiful thing for our business, right? Yeah, no, I love it. Um, in conclusion, what are like some key metrics that you two follow um, or your franchisees should be following? I, I thought the Delhi huddle was, was amazing, but are there specific numbers that your franchisees are following daily or weekly? Yeah, I, I'll tell you, Patrick, there, there are, there are a lot. Um, we try to simplify as much as possible, but I will tell you the number one, um, if somebody comes to me and says, what's the one thing that will dictate profitability for us in our space? It's uh, our percent of indirect time. And, and what I mean by that, uh, for those not in the industry, uh, which I'm sure is 99% of the people on the call. Um, what I mean by that is the time that folks are getting paid, but they're in the truck or they're setting up a job or taking down a job or they're at the shop at the beginning of the day or the end of the day. And so it's, 
in our business, profits made in the details and it's billable time. And so we think through uh, all the time, it's um, density. We wanna do business in a very dense portion uh, of someone's territory so that uh, indirect time is low. We can price in a way that makes sense and we make a lot of money. And it's um, our, our estimating, we have uh, by far best in class estimating capabilities for our franchise owners. And so then it just becomes a process of making sure that we're executing as we had budgeted, right, in that estimate. That is that is the primary definition of, you know, significant profitability, adequate or poor profitability. It's going to be on that indirect time. And there's a lot of other things, but I, I would say that's the uh, that's yeah, the I one. love it. I mean, indirect time, because if you can minimize that, then the employees jump up to gross profit where it's a cost of goods sold. I mean, the more business you're conducting, they're just part of that cost and you can just keep scaling up. That's correct. Yep. Uh, and we lo lots more right in, in the details, but that's the one that's the primary dictator of profitability. I love that. I need to monitor that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, hey, whenever you become a grounds guys owner, we'll help you with that. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. Um, and Patrick, listen, I know, I know we're kind of running at time, right? But I did want to say that I really appreciate the opportunity. Obviously, uh, me and Josh, we can get a little passionate about this. I could talk about this stuff for a long time. I promise you, we have not shared one half of 1% of the different systems and tools and, and the value of having, you know, like 130 people in our marketing department alone. I mean, we didn't even talk about that. So there's all these different things. What I would encourage anyone out there listening to do, if you want to learn more about the grounds guys, just reach out through the appropriate channels and uh, and we would love to meet with you, chat and and see if there is that mutual fit like what we were talking about. Perfect. Yeah, we'll we'll put a link. We're we're updating the grounds guys profile in vetted biz this Friday. We're gonna have a link also to the grounds guys website. So for anyone that likes would like more information, uh, we'll make sure that's in the description section on the YouTube video, as well as if you're listening to this over a podcast. Uh, John and Josh, thanks so much. Thank you. I really appreciate the invite. It was great to meet you, Patrick. Hopefully we get to hang out sometime. Have a good one. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. If you found today's learnings helpful for your entrepreneurial endeavors, I encourage you to follow us on our Vetted Biz YouTube channel. Also, our podcast episodes are available on every major podcast network. This includes Spotify, Google, and Apple. For Apple Podcasts, you can actually leave us up to a five-star rating and also give comments to see what type of feedback you'd like to see for future episodes. If you prefer, email me at patrick at vettedbiz.com with any questions, feedback, or suggested topics for future podcast episodes. Thanks again for listening today.